Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We saw how the church conquers, right? We saw that the book of Revelation is ultimately uh, a, a battle cry, and it is an invitation, it is an, a, a call to the church to conquer. And we saw that the church conquers the, the dragon, the church conquers by bearing witness to Christ, the church conquers by the blood of the Lamb, the church conquers uh, by ob- ob- obedience to God's commandments. And we also saw that the church conquers by being martyred, just like her Lord. Um, but one thing that we didn't really dwell on a whole lot is the ominous concept of the beast conquering the two witnesses, right? So we, we saw that the church is called to conquer. We see that the lion is said to, to having already conquered. And, and we see that word of conquering over and over and over. But in one of the instances, actually in a few of the instances, but referring to one, uh, uh, to one particular instance, we are told that the beast is allowed to wage war against the church, or against the two witnesses, against the people of God, and to conquer them. And that is something that we uh, didn't dwell on. Like I said, last week, the note was mostly triumphant and, and optimistic. Um, but today, as we look into chapter 13, I think it is important for us to really ponder about those things, to ponder and think about what does it mean for the beast to be allowed to conquer over the, the two witnesses, over the saints, over God's people. Um, remember in, in uh, remember when we were studying Revelation 11, we talked about how the church is inwardly and spiritually protected Right, the inner temple, the the place where God, where God's people are worshiping God, it is protected. But we also saw that the outer court of the temple, the holy city, is trampled underfoot by the Gentiles for forty-two months. And then we see in Revelation eleven seven that uh, when the witnesses have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And so today we're gonna. We're going to see more about this beast and about this conquering. So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Revelation 13 verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Actually, I'm going to read from the very end of chapter 12. Uh, and he stood on the sand of the sea. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled at the, and they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. 
And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. He, here is a call for the endurance and faith, and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 666 or 666. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So remember that last week, not last week, when in chapter 12, when we, when we talked about chapter 12, uh, we saw how Satan has already been defeated, right? Remember that he attempted to thwart God's plan. He wanted to devour the child that the woman was going to give birth. And that child is Jesus. But remember that Jesus was taken up. And, and even though the dragon killed Jesus on the cross, remember that that was actually the way that Jesus conquered the dragon, the serpent. That was the way that Jesus triumphed over the serpent. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. But then the dragon went after the woman, that is after God's people, after the saints. Uh, you've, you probably noticed that in the book of Revelation, it talks often about the saints. Well, it's not talking about like St. Peter or St. Jude or those, but it's talking about those who belong to Christ. It's talking about the church, the people of God. And so the dragon waged war against the woman and against her offspring. And that is against the church, against the people of God. And remember that the dragon was very, very angry because he had been thrown down to earth. And also he knows that his time is short. And so he is waging war against the people of God. And in this passage, we see that 
the drag well remember in chapter 12 the dragon is is trying to destroy the woman but he's not able right because god continues to protect the woman he sends a woman into the wilderness and 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 protects the woman from from the lies of the enemy from the attack of the enemy and the dragon is extremely angry in fact you can look at uh uh chapter 12 verse 17 then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So this beast is actually empowered by the dragon. And I don't know if you, if you noticed, but as we are reading the, uh, as we were reading Revelation 13 and as we read chapters 12 and 13, you begin to notice that the dragon the beast and the second beast are this counterfeit trinity, right? The dragon is the one that empowers the beast. The dragon is said to give his, um, he gave his power and his throne and great authority to the beast. Well, that is a cheap counterfeit of God the Father giving his throne and giving his authority to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also see that the second beast is pointing people to worship the first beast. And so this second beast is almost like this counterfeit to the Holy Spirit that is pointing people to worship Christ. And especially, note, it, it, this is especially remarkable when we compare it to um, chapter 11. Because we see that all the signs that the people of God are able to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are the exact same signs that the second beast is emulating, trying to deceive people so that they worship the beast that came out of the that came out of the sea. We also see that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, just as Jesus defeated death, this second beast in one of its seven heads that is wounded, he is healed from that from that uh, from that wound, and he just banks on that. And if you, if you notice, it is repeated over and over and over, the beast that was wounded and was healed. And that is one of the reasons why people are worshiping this beast, right? Because this, this beast had this counterfeit resurrection. So when you, when you look at all of them in comparison, you see that this is a counterfeit trinity, that this is the dragon's attempt to deceive people and to oppose God. And so just like the Father empowers and, and gives his authority to the Son, and the Son sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us, in the same way, Satan, the dragon, gives his limited authority to the serpent, to the dragon, gives his limited uh, throne and his limited dominion to the, to the beast. And the second beast makes, performs all of these signs so that people would be deceived and worshipped uh, this beast. So obviously the question is, well, who is the beast? Or, or what, or, or, you know, what is the beast? Uh, is, is it one person? Is it, is it multiple people? Is it a, a person in the future, someone in the past? Or what's going on? And uh, surprisingly enough, this is one of the few passages where uh, a lot of people agree that the beast is probably a reference to Rome, 
right? Remember that, that John is, is receiving this revelation and he's writing it down and he is sending it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And all of this is happening as the Roman Empire has dominion over basically the whole known earth. And so uh, the beast is probably representative of Rome. Also, if you are familiar with the book of Daniel and the prophecy of the book of Daniel, it talks about four beasts. And the last beast is very similar to this beast. And the last beast is, is supposed to be Rome. Uh, also, some people have made a really good argument for saying that the, one of the heads of this beast, it, it has seven heads, which by the way, Rome was known as the city of the seven hills. Uh, and some people have made the argument that one of the heads, the head that was wounded, is a reference to Nero, one of the emperors who actually was forced to commit suicide. And so the, the, this whole idea of the head being wounded is that when Nero, was, uh, when Nero committed suicide, the Roman Empire went into chaos. And a lot of people didn't think that the Roman Empire was going to survive after that. There was, there was a lot of civil unrest. There was civil war. Uh, there were actually like three different emperors that were uh, ruling in a matter of, I can't remember, but I want to say less than a year. Um, but after that, the Roman Empire recovered from that. And so after that recovery, everyone started thinking, wow, the Roman Empire is invincible. Who can defeat the Roman Empire? Now, also, I, I'm not going to even try to explain because it's pretty complicated, but in, chapter, in verse 18, when he says, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Uh, some people have actually argued that this is, uh, if, if, you, if you use a, a method where you assign numerical values to letters, and especially in Hebrew, this would actually spell the name Nero Caesar. And so some people have suggested, and I think they've made a really compelling argument on like the one I'm making right now, um, that when John says that the number of this man is 666, he is referring to Nero Caesar. And one of the reasons why he probably coded it is because he is sending this letter out of Patmos. And this letter, he is a prisoner in Patmos. And this letter is probably going to be checked by the Roman officials. And it would not go very well for him if he were to say, this beast is the current emperor of the Roman Empire. And so he probably had to write it in code, a code that it would be understandable for the general uh, for his general audience. For us, it's like, where, where do you get, you know, Nero Caesar from 666? And, and I can uh, direct you to some material that deals with that in more detail. Um, but it is not very unlikely. In fact, like I said, some people have made a really good argument that he is probably referring to Nero Caesar, who was the emperor at the time. Um, so in one sense, this beast is... Rome, right? Paul, remember, this letter was written to the seven churches. The seven churches are under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They are suffering persecution. They are forced to, to, to burn incense to Caesar. They are forced to worship Caesar. And if they do not worship Caesar, then a lot of them are not able to buy or sell or trade or do 
basically anything for for survival. But at the same time, this beast, even though uh, it is similar to the description of the fourth beast in the book of Daniel, it has some of the same features that all the four beasts in the book of Daniel have. In other words, this is this is a different uh, beast. So while I think that it might that it, it is referring to the Roman Empire, I also think that the implications for for us and ultimately for all the readers is that this beast represents any worldly system that puts itself above God and claims the allegiance and worship that only God deserves. I'm going to say that again. I think that this beast represents any worldly system that puts itself above God and claims the allegiance and worship that only God deserves. So think about it. This beast, whether it would be the Roman Empire or, or the spirit of the Roman Empire afterwards, this beast is empowered by the dragon. Satan is empowering this beast. Satan has given his authority and his throne and, and, and uh, his power to this beast. And because of this counterfeit resurrection-like event that the beast had, people worship the beast. Now notice these people are not being forced to worship the beast. They are actually worshiping the beast on their own account, right? Notice how they, um, one of its head, in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled and they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So notice that these people are worshiping the beast of their own account. And also, I don't know if they know it or not, but they are worshiping the dragon. And that's, a good, that, that's an important implication for us. Whenever we worship something that claims the allegiance and worship that only God deserves, it is, it is empowered by the dragon. It is empowered by Satan. And we are therefore worshiping Satan. And that's why it is so important for us to be able to recognize whenever there is a worldly system, whenever there is a government, whenever there is a ruler, a president, a party, anything that is claiming the allegiance and the worship that only belong to God, it is important for us to recognize that and to oppose that and to resist that temptation to worship something other than God. Remember when we were talking about, uh, when we were going over chapter 4 and we saw all of the attributes of God, how he is holy, 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 and he is sovereign, and he is eternal, and he is creator. He is the only one that deserves our worship. Nothing and no one else deserves our worship. And so whenever we are worshiping something else that is not God, then the dragon is succeeding in empowering the beast. Whenever we give our allegiance to something or someone that is not God, then the dragon has been successful in deceiving us into worshiping the beast, into opposing God. So the believers are called to endurance and to faithfulness. Notice that 
unlike last week where, where the, the theme and, the, and the, um, the tone was very triumphant, this week as we look into chapter 13, the theme is not very triumphant. The, the, the message that the church is given in this particular instance in verse 9, it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for, endurance, for the endurance and the faith of the saints. In other words, whenever we oppose Rome, whenever we oppose the beast, whenever we oppose any system that claims the worship that only belongs to God, we are going to be persecuted. Let me make this very clear. Christians were not called to oppose Rome because Rome was persecuting Christians. That's, that's not the, the cost. Rather, Rome was persecuting Christians because Christians were opposing Rome's ultimate claim of divinity and authority that did not belong to her. And so in the same way, today, we as believers, as we oppose parties or presidents or governors or, or rulers or any system's claim of authority and, and worship for themselves, it is very likely that we are going to be ostracized. It is very likely that we are going to be persecuted. It is very likely that the system that is being controlled by the dragon is not going to like us. We as believers are called to resist. Remember, the book of Revelation is a call to conquer. And one of the ways that we conquer is by resisting the spirit of Rome, resisting any attempt for Rome to claim the authority and the power that only belong to God. One of the ways that we conquer is by our endurance and our faithfulness. And we really need endurance because even though Christ is already seated at the right hand of God, even though he is already reigning and ruling in heaven, God's heavenly kingdom has not yet come here to earth. I mean, we see, we see a, a, a foretaste of that kingdom in the church. And, and he, you know, he is sovereign over everything. But still, God's kingdom has not been fully consummated. It has not come here fully to earth. And that's why we need endurance. That's why we need patience. Because for these 42 months, and I believe that this is not a literal 42 months, for these 42 months that the witnesses are given authority to prophesy are the same 42 months that the beast is given authority to rule. And so we have these two clashing kingdoms, right? We have the kingdom of God. We have the witnesses, the people of God with the authority of Christ bearing witness and and, and uh, prophesying and bringing signs and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. But we have, on the other hand, we have the beast who has also received this counterfeit power and this counterfeit authority and is seated on this counterfeit throne. 
And we see the second beast that can perform all of the same signs that the witnesses can perform. And so we have these two kingdoms that are, that are battling each other. And because we are caught in the middle of that, we need to have endurance. We need to seek God for his endurance. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can endure. Right now, even though we are seeing what it looks like for government to claim authority that does not belong to it, to claim worship that does not belong to it, honestly, I, I, I still think that we have it really easy. I know I've, I've said that a few times in the past, and I don't know how, how much longer I'm going to keep saying that, but I think that we still have it really easy. I think of believers in other countries. I think of believers in other uh, eras. I think of believers under communism. I think of believers under Nazi rule. I think of the believers that were persecuted by the Roman Empire. The believers that were used as human torches to light the dinners that the, that the emperor would have. And that's why there's a call for endurance. And again, I, I'm not trying to diminish any of the persecution or, or rejection or, or spiritual battles that we're going through. But I do think that we need to realize that the, the exhortation for the church here is, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. It's not saying, if you're going to be captive, don't worry. Nothing, you know, eventually God is going to rescue you and you're not going to go into captivity. No, it's saying, if anyone goes into captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is killed by the sword, by the sword he is killed. He must be slain. And that's why we need endurance. And that's why we need faithfulness to Christ. Remember the, the messages to the seven churches at the beginning of the book. Endurance and faithfulness are, the two, are some of the two things that are mentioned the most. And those churches that we were being patient, those churches that were being faithful to Christ, they receive a commendation from Christ. And they receive the promise that they will rule with him that they will receive the crown, that they will be clothed in white. But the churches and the people in the churches that are not being patient, that, are not, that, that do not have endurance, that are not being faithful to Christ, but that are compromising, they receive a severe warning. They say when Jesus comes and battles with the sword that comes out of his mouth, they will be counted with his enemies. And that's why the call for us is a call for endurance and faithfulness to Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us be faithful to Christ. It might get to a point where if we want to be accepted by our friends, if we want to be accepted by our family, we might have the temptation to compromise. It might get to a point where if we want to live normal life in this world, in this country, we might be tempted to compromise our faith with Christ. But let us never compromise our faith. Let us continue to be faithful to Christ, no matter what it takes, no matter where we go, no matter what the consequence is.
So the image here in, in chapter 13 is, is rather grim, right? I mean, it just kind of as a summary of the things that are happening. The beast blasphemes against God and his people without any immediate repercussion, right? The beast is claiming names for himself that do not belong to him, and that was very well known. The, the Roman emperors would give themselves divine names, and they would demand worship from their subjects. The beast is blaspheming against God, against his people, and there seems to be no repercussions against them. The beast seems undefeatable, right? It suffers this mortal wound and it's healed. The beast is allowed to conquer the saints. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm sure that a lot of the times we don't struggle to see that. We don't struggle to see how the beast has had some victories over the church. The beast is allowed to exercise authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. This is the same formula that has been used about God's authority and God's rule. And now the beast is, again, with its counterfeit authority, is claiming the allegiance of all of these people. The beast receives the worship that people ought to give to God. The particu- that particular phrase, who is like the beast, is actually a, a um, it, it's actually taken from Isaiah 40, 25 and Exodus 15, 11. And in those two passages, it is talking about God. Who is like our God? And so again, the beast is claiming the worship that belongs only to God. The saints are taken captive and they are killed. The second beast can perform signs just like the witnesses. The second beast is able to deceive everyone except for those who have the seal of God, except for those who are written in the book of, in the book of life. The beast and the second beast, they have the power to put to death those who do not worship the image of the beast. They have total control of social life. This is a, a totalitarian regime that we're talking about where people are not able to sell or buy or, or live normal life unless they worship the emperor, unless they have the mark of Nero, the mark of Caesar on their hands or their foreheads. And so the question of verse 4 seems very poignant and pertinent. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And I think the question is left open intentionally. And I think that we do good to ponder a little bit about that and say, okay, who can fight against the beast? And of course, we already know the answer. But let's think about it for a moment. Doesn't it feel like that's often? When we see, when we see the, the sinfulness of this world, when we see how rulers and, and, and governors and dictators have claimed authority that does not belong to them, when we see mass, uh, when we see genocide happening from the rulers of a nation to their own people, when we see wars, when we see everything that, that is wrong with this world, when we see injustice, when we see sin. 
I think that the question is who can fight against the beast? Who can fight against this beast that has been given this limited authority and that has been granted to conquer the saints? Well, the answer is in chapter 14. And to those that were listening to this letter as it was being read to them, they got the answer right away. Who is like, uh, um, who can defeat the beast? Well, chapter 14, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And we, even though we know the answer to that question, one thing that we are going to do intentionally is we are going to stop here for a moment. And we're actually going to start our season of Advent a week earlier. Usually we would do it next Sunday, but this time we're going to start or, or sorry, uh, two Sundays from now, but we're actually going to start next Sunday. And we're going to start thinking about Advent. We're going to start thinking about the first and the second coming of Jesus. And I think that this is a really good point to stop in, in pondering this question and, and, and trying to identify with the same feeling that people had before the coming of Jesus and saying, who can fight against the beast? Who can fight against this evil? Who can fight against the dragon and the beast that he has empowered? And just as hopeless as the people before Jesus' first coming felt, we don't feel like them because we know that Jesus already came once. And we know that he already defeated the dragon. We know that he already died on the cross. But we are still expectant and hopeful for his second coming. We still await for him to return and to finally come and conquer and destroy and send to the lake of fire the serpent, the beast, and the false prophet. That is the second beast. And so I think that with that in mind, we should go into the Advent season. And we're, not, we're actually not going to get back to Revelation 14 until the second Sunday in January. So it's going to be a little while. I encourage you to... to Keep reading through it. Maybe read it a couple of times. And again, we know the answer. We know that Jesus, we know that the lamb who was slain, who is at Mount Zion, he is coming and he is going to defeat the beast. But for now, let us leave with that question. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? But of course, let us remember the lamb that was slain. Let us remember the blood of Christ. And that's what we're going to do now as we celebrate communion. We are going to remember the blood of Jesus. We are going to remember that even though it feels in a very real sense that the beast is unbeatable, Christ has already defeated. And as we take communion, we are remembering exactly how he defeated the beast and the dragon. He defeated them by dying on the cross by shedding his blood. And so as we take of the bread, we're going, we're going to remember his body that was broken for us. And as we drink of the cup, we are going to remember his blood that was shed for us. And I want to remind you that this is something that 
um, you should do if you have ultimately placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is something that you should do if you have already been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The, the, the elements themselves do not wash us from, the, from, the, from sin or, or from our guilt. That has already been done at the cross. We take these elements to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, every time we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes. And so we're going to sing a hymn together. And as we sing, you can come and grab up the elements. And then at the end of the song, we will uh, take them together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he has already conquered. And thank you that we, through the blood of the lamb, are called to conquer as well. And thank you that we have victory. We have the authority of your son, Jesus. But Lord, we acknowledge that that question, who can fight against the beast, feels very real to us. When we see the sinfulness of this world, when we see the evil of this world, that question is very real, Lord. And we thank you that you already took care of that problem by sending your son. And Lord, we wait for your return. We await to see you on Mount Zion coming back and finally and completely destroying evil and sin and death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.